Okay, so welcome back. Uh, just a uh, reply to Carol, the fourth of the supports for um, tranquility is the cooling of the veiling factors. So can we begin our afternoon with just a short sitting period together to arrive once more? Perhaps taking one or two just slightly fuller breaths. Allowing the mind to settle into the body. Appreciating the stillness, the uprightness of the body, the calming.
So we come to the last session of our weekend together and also to the last two of these limbs of awakening, these, of these seven treasures. And the quality here, or the, the quality here is the quality of samadhi. Um, this is not an easy word to translate into English. Sadly, it's often translated as concentration, where a samadhi refers to something, I think, a little bit bigger than concentration. This quality of samadhi, this Pali word, it, it's looking backwards to tranquility. So tranquility or calming is almost setting the stage for samadhi to begin to develop. And then samadhi looks forward to equanimity. Now, the, the most accurate translation of samadhi is unification or integration. The integration of body, mind, and present moment. The unification of body, mind, and present moment. Now, we know that this is often not the case. You know that our bodies can be in one place, our minds somewhere else entirely, and the present moment often forgotten. So we can find ourselves living in this state of disunification. And actually, the Buddha describes this as a state of unsatisfactoriness, as a state of distress. So the image that is used in the early texts is the image of the cowherder who carefully, gently, but clearly gathers together their cows and moves them from pastures that are worn out to pastures that are more fertile where they will thrive. I often think of that image quite clearly because I, I live very near Dartmoor National Park where in the summertime the sheep are just set free to roam and to graze wherever they want of this vast area. And now is the time of year where the, the, the farmers go out with their sheepdogs and they very carefully, with these incredibly amazing sheepdogs, know how to gather the sheep without intimidating them and move them from pastures where now the grass has dried out into the farms and the pastures where they will actually thrive. So this is what we are doing with Samadhi. We are gathering together our attentional field and we're moving our attentional field from pastures where it doesn't thrive, pastures of fantasy, rumination, obsession, speculation, narrative, and moving our attentional field into a pasture where it will thrive and settle and deepen. And that is the pasture of the present moment. So the pastures that undermine our well-being are very familiar to us. Habit, overwhelm, confusion, despair, reactivity, self-definitions that don't serve as well, obsession. So we establish attention in present moment experience with mindfulness, with investigation, with courage, with calm, and with joyfulness. I personally think it's very important to note that the cultivation of samadhi 
by the path of samadhi is actually a path of happiness. It's a path of well-being. It's a path of richness. So we, 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 we learn to integrate, to unify body, mind, and present moment infused in a way that's infused with the awakening qualities. This is something much bigger than concentration. Concentration can be wholesome or unwholesome. It can be skillful or unskillful. Um, and samadhi is, is not just a meditative development, but it's a training for our lives how to unify, how to gather, how to collect in the service of awakening. Any of you who are familiar at all with the early texts will appreciate the weight and the value that the Buddha gives to the development of samadhi. In fact, when he often speaks about meditative development, it's, it's presented in a very short story. You know, that a practitioner will go to an empty hut or to the roots of a tree. They will cross their legs. They'll shut their eyes. They'll enter into all the absorptions, the first, the second, the third, the fourth absorption. Then they will turn that samadhi towards the development of insight. And they will get out from their empty, from their tree or out of their empty hut, having done what needs to be done, fully awakened. Now, this is the short story. Hmm? And for most of us, this is not the reality of our experience. We know what it is like to try to develop this unification and integration of body, mind, and present moment. In my observation, samadhi is the Achilles heel of most people's practice. You know, some people have a natural flair for this collectedness. But I think for most people in practice, they quickly see that this is quite challenging and it is their Achilles heel. You know, the mind seems so flighty, so distracted, so easily distracted, so easily carried away, um, so easily overwhelmed. But actually to cultivate samadhi does indeed take a lot of effort, a lot of dedication um, and a lot of perseverance. But the benefits are manifold. This is what we call the well-trained mind. This is a mind that is a friend. This is a mind of happiness that can reflect, that can contemplate, that can be creative and insightful. This is the direction. And samadhi is really what allows insight to deepen into our bones. Now, this inner taste of integration or unification, it has a, a taste of stillness. And as I mentioned, it's the ground where deep understanding takes root. We could almost say that the deeper this sense of collectedness and stillness, the deeper the insight. It's the place where we move from conceptually knowing to experientially embodying. It's a place where we move into experientially embodying our understandings of impermanence of dukkha and non-self and where we live in the light of those understandings. Samadhi is where the shape of our heart and our mind 
truly begins to change. Resilience, groundedness, steadiness, spaciousness, these are all features of the terrain of samadhi. As the Buddha put it, one well-trained in samadhi thinks the thoughts they want to think when they want to think them and doesn't think the thoughts they don't want to think. That's quite a statement. It's quite a statement. Our capacity for creative, imaginative, creative thinking is born of samadhi. And I think it is not just meditators who know this. I think artists know this. I think writers know this. I think dancers know this. You know, I think musicians know this, that the place of their greatest creativity is actually when they are so collected and unified in body, mind, and present moment. And in that, in developing this, and it is something we cultivate, you know, our tendencies to be captured by obsession, preoccupation, and proliferation begin to fall away. And the Buddha was very clear that samadhi does not in itself completely uproot the hindrance factors. But he said samadhi blindfolds Mara. The well-collected, well-unified being has blindfolded Mara in the sense that the hindrance factors cannot take root. And when they cannot take root and there's a simultaneous development of the awakening factors and understanding, then the veiling factors can be truly uprooted. And I do want to, you know, repeat this. It's very important not to think of the hindrance factors as a life sentence. I mean, the direction of this practice, that these hindrance factors that can be so powerful in our lives um, can actually come to an end. Now, samadhi is a calm abiding. It's a calm abiding where we develop the art of being able to sustain both intention and attention. And as I mentioned yesterday, this is the greatest art of a skilled practitioner, of being able to sustain skillful intention and attention. This is a training, obviously, not just for our practice, not for our cushions, but for our lives. In my own practice experience and in my observations of people practicing, for most people, the journey journey of developing samadhi is a journey through the hindrances or through the veiling factors. This is the classroom of samadhi in the midst of craving, in the midst of agitation, in the midst of aversion, in the midst of dullness, in the midst of doubt. This is where we learn to cultivate this collectedness. But so many, I think you could probably identify with this, that so many people in meditation really discover the challenge of being able to sustain attention and being able to sustain intention Isn't it just true that you sit down with all good intentions to be awake and present and collectedness? And sometimes it's only a moment. 
before they collapse. And yet we get better at it. We do get better at it. We have often the experience of the intention to be awake and present, and then it gets hijacked by surges of craving or agitation. We have the intention to be patient and kind until we encounter the inevitable lack of cooperation from the world around us. We have the intention to be present with life challenges, but find ourselves dissociating or or just simply falling asleep. Now, developing this art of sustaining intention and attention, I think is crucial. If we're going to live the life of care, compassion and wakefulness, we truly long to live. If we are to be free. Without samadhi, the Buddha said, we're like a fish out of water, just flapping about on dry land. In one of the Tibetan traditions, it said, preoccupations do not end until the moment of your death. They end when you put them down. That is their nature. I I think we can get a sense of that, can't we? You know, will preoccupations ever end? Or will there be yet something more, always something more to be agitated about, to obsess about, to ruminate about, to be anxious about. We see that there is, this is the nature of life. It will keep offering us those possibilities. But preoccupations end when we put them down. Now, samadhi is very much a a cultivation moment to moment. We learn, we learn really to, to read the landscape of our inner experience. We, we become attuned to those moments when we are fragmented and disconnected, when our bodies are in one place and our minds somewhere entirely else. We become attuned to those moments when we find ourselves leaning backwards into the past or forwards into the future or simply lost in the preoccupations of the present. We become attuned, sensitive to those moments because these are the moments where we learn to to set and reset that intention to gather and to collect. And really, we do begin to taste the, the nature of that fragmentation, that disunification, how it is in itself unsatisfactory. At times, it's it's distressing. So part of this, this is almost a kind of inner education that we we begin to develop, I think, an inner literacy about the hindrances, the veiling factors, and when they're operating and sabotaging intention. Ah, we say craving is present. Ah, aversion's happening. Ah, agitation is visiting. Dissociation is here. Here is doubt. It's so important to begin to develop that literacy because those veiling factors, as we've spoken about, are going to more and more fuel the proliferation, the disconnection, the disunification. We draw upon that very central element of mindfulness, of the the simple knowing. The simple knowing. Craving is craving. Aversion as a virgin, a virgin. It's almost as if we're developing a, 
a relationship or a dialogue with what is going on. And we're stepping out of the eye of the storm. <clears throat> then we can begin to ask the questions. What does this need? In the midst of agitation and restlessness, in the midst of craving, what does this need? And we begin, really begin to see the way that calming and collecting and equanimity are some of our greatest allies. In the midst of dullness, deflation of energy, we say, well, what does this need? And we say, actually, this needs virya. This needs courage. This needs skillful effort. This needs investigation. And joyfulness is most always helpful. You know, within, within the seven factors of awakening, we see there, there are calming qualities and there are enlivening qualities. And one of the, the great arts of the meditative life is knowing when calming is needed and when enlivening is helpful. This is the appropriate responsiveness. We learn we can always establish mindfulness in the body establishing a home for the mind in the body, cultivating this unification and this integration. The Buddha referred to this as the one fortunate attachment. And there are several discourses that carry that title. And one of them goes, let not a person revive the past or on the future build their hopes. For the past has been left behind and the future has not been reached. Instead, with insight, let them see each presently arisen state. Let them know that and be sure of it, invincibly, unshakably. One who dwells thus ardently, day by day by night, is one who has one fortunate attachment. It's quite, I, I think, a very, very direct discourse. Not leaning back into the past, not building our, our hopes upon a future, not waiting for something to be over, for the past has been left behind other than in our thoughts. And the future has certainly not been, been reached. Instead, with insight, let them see each presently arisen state. Developing this emotional literacy. Knowing what is occurring. Knowing what is happening. Being sure of this. Knowing what is skillful. Knowing what is unskillful. Knowing this. And that one who abides thus passionately by day and by night is one who has one fortunate attachment. Now, many people will see samadhi as something that happens mostly on their meditation cushion. And it is true that formal meditation practice can be you know, a, a wonderful environment for beginning to cultivate samadhi. Um, you know, in my own practice life, I've given years to this. 
and you know in my own kind of practice calendar of a year I will give months to this because I see that when samadhi is in place you're pretty much taking care of everything you know you're taking care of of impulse you're taking care of the hindrance factors you're cultivating stillness and insight comes into that stillness so I personally give I can say agree with the Buddha, unsurprisingly, maybe, um, that this is something to give enormous value to. On the cushion, we have, you know, wonderful opportunities to do this, to gather, to collect, and to unify. But that won't make a huge difference unless we also dedicate space to this in the rest of our lives. You know, it would be expecting too much to think that we could sit on a cushion for half an hour every day and then lead a chaotic life and hope that samadhi will develop. So I, I think when I, when I think of developing samadhi, I, I do think of it about uh, as, you know, not just internal conditions, but external conditions. You know, are we taking care to, to step out of overdoing, um, to treasure times of stillness, to make good choices, you know, about what we do with our attention and time, um, to take good care of how wholeheartedly we, we, we use our sense doors, to take care of how much restraint might be needed at times. I know we cannot control often the world of conditions. You know, there's, there's often much that is being asked of us. But there are also choices, even in the midst of an overfull life, where we're taking care of our inner world of, of collectedness and gatheredness. And this makes you know, a crucial difference in whether we live lives of happiness and wakefulness and peace or whether we feel to be almost at the mercy of impulses and powerful mind states and emotions. So I personally highly recommend this exploration of what, of what samadhi is. You know, how many moments can we pause in a day and just have this sense of gathering, collecting, unifying, integrating body, mind, and present moment in whatever we are doing, whether it's when we're cooking a meal or whether we're walking somewhere or whether we're at work. How much can we give value to that gathering and unifying and collecting? And this is, you know, where the mind develops a great deal of stillness. It's why it's so recommended in meditative development, because it's where we really encounter inwardly generated happiness and joy. It's where there's a great deal of receptivity receptivity you know I would say there's almost like two two dimensions of samadhi one is cultivated to really um having a, a very uh, developing a kind of one-pointedness you know developing a very clear sense of focus you know I'm I'm sitting I'm mindful of the body breathing you know I'm, I'm seeing that develop begin to deepen so it, it's very different in a way than insight practice you know where you have the 
intention to be with whatever arises. In developing samadhi on the cushion, you know, you don't have that much interest in all of the fluff around your chosen focus. You know, you just keep coming back gently, 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 sustaining, sustaining. So that's one kind of pathway of samadhi is through developing that that inner collectedness, that inner gatheredness around a chosen object. And the second, I think, pathway of samadhi is actually where we're not, you know, because that doesn't work in our lives. That doesn't work in a, a life of work or relationship or interaction. Where we're actually bringing that same intention to collect and gather, but with whatever appears in the moment. So when I'm walking, I'm just walking. You know, when I'm listening, I'm listening. When I'm writing, I'm writing. When I'm speaking, I'm speaking as wholeheartedly in an integrated way as possible. So in a life practice, this is about meeting what comes to us with this intention to gather, to collect, to integrate. And that is a challenging practice. It's a challenging practice, but it is also very possible. It's letting go of a lot of the stuff we don't need in terms of over planning or comparing or strategizing or uh, fantasizing or imagining. It's letting go of a lot of what we don't need and being able to meet life with with that kind of wholehearted, wholeheartedness and integration and unification. So pause there for a moment and just see if there's any, I mean, this is such a huge topic. You know, I could spend a weekend talking about samadhi. Um, but to see if there's any thoughts, questions you'd like to raise. Just sensing the fluid nature of experience, the arising, the passing, thoughts, sensations, sounds. Sitting in the midst of all things, calming, gathered, collected.
Yeah, thank you. So I'd like to suggest at this time that we have the last of our breakout groups for 20 minutes. And I have a, a couple of uh, questions to offer to you to reflect upon. The first would be, what would be the benefits to your life, to your well-being of cultivating a greater sense of samadhi? What would the benefit be to your life, to your well-being of cultivating a greater sense of samadhi? And the second question is, how would you go about doing this? How would you go about doing this? Because everyone's life is different. Everyone's circumstances are different. How would you go about doing this? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.